Welcome back to Check the Method Podcast. I am your host, M. Tony Peralta, and today's episode is a dope one. What do you get when you grew up writing graffiti, breakdancing, skateboarding, grew up with Dominican parents, so grew up listening to bachata, merengue, and all that good stuff? You get Tito Deler, aka the original Harlem Slim. I met up with Tito at J Hood Park. We sat down outside with the GWB in the background and we discussed uh, his uh, his come up and how this someone who grew up uptown wind up singing the blues and not bachata but Mississippi Delta blues I've been following Tito for a while I wasn't sure if he was uh, I wasn't sure if he was black or Puerto Rican um, I definitely didn't think he was Dominican until one day he uh, tagged me wearing one of my t-shirts with which then really made me curious about him because this guy dresses in in 1950s garbs uh, and really kind of, I don't want to say play the part, but he's really about that blues life. So, you know, we chopped it up. Uh, we, we delved into his history and I don't want to take up too much more of your time and just dive into this episode of the original Harlem Slim, Tito Deler. Tito. My man. Yo, I am so excited to interview you, man. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks again for doing this. Tony, it's my pleasure, brother. Thank you very much for inviting. Yeah, it's man, I, honor I, and a privilege. I really appreciate it, man. Like, I really, I really find you fascinating with <laughs> with Har- Harlem Slim. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, indeed. man. So, yeah. just if you can, just give me like a, a, a synopsis of like who you are, where you grew up, and okay. all of that little okay. little little so background. I, bet I grew up in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very sort of like interesting time where like, you know, the disco and the rock, um, the b-boying, the breaking and everything, um, was, was all coming to like a high climax, you know? Um, I remember the parties in the park that they used to throw over PS 145. Of course, all the jams over Rocksteady Park, like I was there the whole time, um, as a youngin'. Um, but, but watching all that you know, happened around me and really like knowing the cats that were involved in that, like people didn't really have a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Um, whatever you had, you made it look fly. And, uh, and there was something like quintessential and, and connecting between that and the DIY culture of like those downtown cats, like, you know, Basquiat, for example, um, or, or on a side note, he's Puerto Rican and he's and, Haitian. And he's Haitian, yes. Yeah. So He's full Latino. Like, that's what's up. Like cats that like, you know, we're doing crazy wild things on their on their own accord, making it up, making it, doing it for their neighborhood. Um, uh, I grew up seeing a lot of that. Um, uh, went to high school music and art. Okay. Um, uh, started writing graffiti at an early age. Yeah. Um, and uh, what kept me in school really was the graffiti. Um, I eventually went to... Um, First year college was a Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, which was real interesting because, like, it was a long time before I even went to Brooklyn. You know, most mm-hmm. of I stayed in Manhattan. And yeah, that's, of that's course. That's how we rocked, yeah. you know? um, But, like, for the train to go, like, under the tunnel and, like, come out somewhere else and you're like, whoa. But, like, the interesting thing is that, like, you know, I like to think that, like, we as people of color, like, black and brown, like, we universal, man. And, like, wherever we go, it feels like home. And I felt that whether I've been in South Africa... 
my travels all around the South and Mississippi playing the blues and everything. Um, but growing up, I would imagine it was very similar to you. In the house, there was a very specific soundtrack. Yep. You know, sometimes my sisters would get on my father's record player and put their disco records or their rock records or their hip hop or whatever. Although hip hop was mostly on tape back then. Yes. It was mostly tapes. Um, and if you remember correctly, I mean, back then, like, a lot of the records that they were cutting up in the park were like, you know, it was Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, of course, like, that's an obvious one. But, like, there were a lot of, like, rock and roll records that they were chopping up and turning into something else. That's kind of the culture where I come, you know, I come from where it's like, is do it yourself. It's make it for yourself. Yeah. So were you born here? I was born here. First generation. Me and my older sister were born here. I have two older sisters that were born in Dominican in the capital. Okay. Yeah. And and um, so like you were saying that you, you know there was disco being played and Led Zeppelin and all of that. Yeah. Also, was uh, merengue being played? Not only was merengue being played, but that was basically our weekends. You know, from Thursday to Sunday night, because my father, um, my grandfather was a shipbuilder in the Dominican Republic. Okay. All right. And so my father learned how to be a carpenter from him. So his first gig here was as a you know, carpenter's assistant, whatever, then he got a job as a super. So as you know, a lot of supers, they got access to the basement. So we had basement parties basically like from Thursday to like Monday morning. And it was all merengue, and it was all the tios and tias, la compadre, everybody was there dancing. You'd have the bed that was full of all the coats. Yep. That's where all the kids would wind up going to sleep. Yep. I imagine the story is very similar. That's yeah, no, how, that, like, that's you know, how it was. And it's interesting because yeah. like we've lost... We've lost that, and and you know back back in that time it was just like everybody was family. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like for instance, for myself, like my neighbors, like there's certain people that I used to call them tia and tío, but they weren't my my real uncles because my mother didn't have any brothers and sisters that were here until like later on. Right on, right on. You know, so yeah. Um, but so yeah. one thing I didn't know about you was that. That you do graphic design, correct? And, yeah. and, all, and on top of that, that you did graffiti, yeah. Because I know you as Harlem Slim, That's it, a blues right? Man. Yeah. A bluesman, yeah. Right, yeah. And then, honestly, like even when I first came into contact with you, I didn't think you were Dominican yeah. until you hit me up about the merengue rock shirt, yeah, and I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah. Now, yeah. I have the the thing about this this uh, podcast is like I ask the same questions, but there's some questions I, I'm going to ask you just because, again, like, there, you know, I know, I, one, you're creative. Right on. You're, you're a bluesman. Yeah. Right? You, you play the guitar, yeah. but also you're a graphic designer, which I didn't know until to right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, so how do you get into writing the blues? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how does a dude that grew up... Um, Grew up uh, uptown, mm -hmm. right, in, in Upper West Side, Dominican, wind up, become Harlem Slim. Dig, yeah. That's a good question, and I'll tell you this, man. I mean, when I was a kid, I, you know how, like, when you go into your building, and it really doesn't matter if you live in a project or a brownstone or whatever, there's always a different flavor on each floor. Yeah. There was this man that um, he lived by himself, I remember him living by himself. He didn't live by himself all the time. And granted, it's like men and women, whatever, we go through all of our struggles. Yeah. And that helps to kind of like make us who we are at the time, right? There was this man that lived on the third or second floor, I think it was. And I remember every day when I would go up and down with my mother at a very early age, 
Like I would hear um, like bolero or bachata or what we refer to as amarga. Uh -huh, amarga music. And he was just playing, like it would just be booming in his apartment. Yeah. And I was always attracted to it because there was something sincere. There was something sort of like an emergency about that music. Mm -hmm. Like it was a message that like, you know, most of the time it was men that I heard singing it, which is interesting in our culture because it's not typical to see the man come from a perspective of like suffering or softness. Yeah. But these men had found strength in being able to express something very sensitive. Yeah. Dig? Yeah. And I remember I was always attracted to this man's door. And every time I would go close to hear, hear the music closer, my mother would be like, no, mijo, ven acá, you know. Que ese hombre, uno no puede hablar con ese hombre que siempre está mal. Sí. You know? Um, and, I, and I was like, oh, this is dangerous. Yeah. Like, this man was listening to something that was, like, so beautiful and so sincere. And there were men singing that were crying. And, like, but it was dangerous on top of that. Yeah. And I was like, damn, what kind of music could literally transcend you? Like, if you think about it culturally, across the whole vast expanse of, like, humankind, like, if you were to be able to, like, you know, let's do a challenge. Who could write the saddest song? Yeah. Like, that's some heavy shit right yeah. there. Um, to be able to write the saddest song that people can connect to, you know, one way or the other. I remember going to um, Caridad and, and seeing um, Luis Segura play, right? And you would see in the very front, it wasn't a bunch of people having a blast and, like, rocking out with him. It was, you know, women and men sitting down on tables, literally crying. Yeah. And he was playing, and, and then there would be, like, you know, a small area where you would dance. Mm -hmm. You know, en una loseta. Like, you weren't dancing too far. Bien pegadito, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, because you were lucky to have yours close to you, so you kept it close to yours. Um, to me, essentially, that was a segue into the blues. Of course, I heard popular music. I heard R&B and everything, and I heard soul music, and I was listening to rock. Um, you know, I, I had a sister that was, like, a punk rocker. I had a sister that was a rocker. And I had a sister who was a disco queen. Um, I mean, she danced on Soul Train. My other sister played at CBs, you know. So, like, they were really connected to those cultures. So I had, like, a big clash of a lot that was going on in yeah. New York. Um, so to me, the further back that I peeled the onion, like, the closer that I got to Amargo or Bachata. But the interesting thing growing up here and being so influenced by modern or culture, like New York culture, yeah. like, you heard... Led Zeppelin or whatever, and you were like, yo, this is dope. You peel it back a little bit further, and you hear, like, Muddy Waters, and you're like, whoa. And then, and then you hear, like, Sunhouse, and you're like, wait a minute. And there's no difference between, like, those early blues artists from the Delta in Mississippi and our bachateros, like, from El Campo, you know? De Tierra Adentra, you know what I'm saying? Like, that is, it's the same spirit that, 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 that is inside of you and is going to do what it's got to do to get out, you know? Janto. Like crying, singing, expressing yourself, you know. And, and, and the beautiful thing is you see a lot of people doing it in all their ways, whether it's, you know, poetry, art, you know, furniture, uh, uh, you know, making sculptures or whatever. Like, yeah. everybody finds that angle. For me, it was like, it was the visual art, but then there was something lacking in the sense that I was missing the performance of it, yeah. right? Like, and I don't necessarily put myself out that much or like, I'm terrible at promoting, yeah. but like, I love that like when I play a show or whatever, the show starts, it ends, and that's it. If you were there, you saw it, yeah. dig? So it's like, it's a moment in time, you experienced it, and we leave taking this with us. Yeah. 
So it, it was just logical for me to play the blues. If I had been around a lot of bachateros growing up, I probably would have done that, you know? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I guess, like, right now, you were just telling me about your, the, your encounter with El Amalgue Man in, yeah. in apartment 1B. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. What, what were you like when you was 10 years old, and, and how did your parents react to you? Right, so, because like not for any, because yeah. the reason why I like to ask this question is like, you know, when when you're creative, like you're that you're 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 a creative ten year old, right? And and people show up differently. Like you know, for me, it's like I just always used to like daydream and and draw a lot on my notebook and actually get in trouble in school, right? So you know, what what were you like when you was ten and were and were your parents like? encouraging or trying to make you stop, you know, being such a, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, like a hard head. Yeah, yeah. All right, so when I was 10, and, and the interesting thing is, like, very much like you, I love drawing, like, robots and, like, just fantasy stuff, like spaceships and airplanes and soldiers and, like, graffiti came into my life around the time I was, like, eight or nine. Yeah. Right. And really, it's been the constant in my life that pretty much saved my life mm -hmm. in the sense because it gave me an angle to try and make a living, right? Um, meaning that, like, when I was in school and I would study about, like, all the fine artists and whatnot, it didn't really move me because they were all dead and gone. And, like, like how relevant, realistically speaking, how relevant is, like, you know, Picasso, you know, or what? Like, it, it wasn't that relevant for a kid growing up in my neighborhood, from my perspective. What was relevant was what they were doing, you know, 156 was doing on the one line. You know, John 1, Omni, like what they were doing on the one line. What all these graffiti writers from Uptown were doing on the ACs and everything, um, from the Bronx, of course, like, graffiti saved my life because it gave me an angle to, like, stay in high school. Yeah. And then go to college. My father always wanted me to be an architect. Okay. And, and follow this, because I'm sure it'll be a very common thread with most people. Uh, when your father sees you and, and what, they're, what they're doing, you know, not just by coming to this country, but by raising you up a certain way, is, is progressing the, the, the lineage or the heritage, right? Yes. So he sees you drawing. Of course, he wants you to do something that's, like, instructive. And the only thing that he can imagine from his scope was, oh, if he's an architect or an engineer, that'll be a living. Yeah. So my pops didn't know that graphic design existed. Mm -hmm. Graphic design was my segue. You know, I went to college for, for painting fine arts. Um, and my approach was more like on, on a revolutionary side, more like what the Mexican muralists were doing mm. and stuff like that. Like, how do you tell our story, you know, from using a Eurocentric medium, which is oil paint, but from a very like, you know, indigenous or to the Americas way, you know? Um, as a mix of, like, African, Taino, and Spanish, right? Um, but literally born in the Americas. Like, what? How can you co-opt this medium and tell your story? And that was, my, that was my angle throughout college and after college, really. I made my first money writing graffiti, doing murals. When I got out of college, I couldn't get a gig to save my life. Um, uh, I applied at the post office. Word. And my mother was like, ay, mijo, no, no, I got eso. No. Yeah. And I was like... Ma, you don't understand. Like, you just and, couldn't and land a, a, a graphic design no, I gig? I couldn't land a gig. It was, it was really, really hard. And if you didn't know someone that, like, would literally put you on, and that was, 
That's what was kind of lacking in the community that I grew up in. I mean, you know, and, and, and again, like, no disrespect to the post office workers because, like, that's what I wanted to do. And I saw that as, like, an opportunity to, like, make a living and yeah. create an honest life. But then, like, the reality was that, like, how could I feed my art by doing that? So I was like, you know, very much like you, where you took that jump for real and you were like, this is the life that I want to dream for myself. I'm going to craft it and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. You know, con oración, with hard work and everything, you focus and you do that, mm -hmm. right? But to go back to your question, bro, like when I grew up, it was like around eight or nine, like skateboarding, like writing graffiti. I was like the strange one of the block. Yes. And I know Same. that like a lot of the creative, like, you know, especially Dominicans coming up uptown, yep. like, we can relate to that because, like, you know, just because I skateboarded didn't mean that I knew how to BMX. But if they saw me skating coming down the block, they'd be like, yo, bust an endo, yo, do yeah. a trick, yo, do a trick. But you came up with a real tough skin. Yeah. So you would know what to say back to them, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, into the punk rock or whatever. Like, that was all, like, my experience. And, like, it, it, I was just wild different. Yeah. Wild different. And, and it's also made it kind of easy to kind of stay different and just do something, like, sincere. You know what I mean? You know, different is definitely the, the key word. It was just like, it was, you know, the the, the creative kid in, in, in that grows up in, in the hood is is an outcast and he's a weirdo. And, 100%. And, and, you know, that's why when, when I see kids that are like weirdo kids, I yeah. like, I encourage it. Like I have a, Most I have definitely. a niece that, you know, her sister and her cousins are like, oh, she's so weird. And I said, like, yeah, she's amazing. Beautiful. You Word. know what I'm saying? She's amazing, Word. right? Because, you know, it's like, we, it's going against the grain. And, and then on top of that, when it, being a creative in a black and brown community, you it's a very, it, it's a very small percentage. You know, that's why when you go to art school, the, the majority there are white. And then on top of that, as I, I, I've noticed in conversations that I've had with, with various art students that they get discouraged by being in art school and, and the way they get criticized for the work that they do because it represents their neighborhood or their community or, or their culture. Um, that's why I've, I've, I've always said, you know, folks just like if you're Dominican, you probably should go like to art school in Dominican Republic, right? Because... Obviously, and the, the work that they do out there is, like, incredible. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, like, granted, the opportunities that I had to go to Dominican was, like, mostly summertime and also over, like, you know, Christmas break or whatever. Like, it was either, A, because I was behaving badly. Yes, fact. Me too. Um, but then, like, but then, like when, I, when I was getting a little older and I started seeing, like, the intellectual, like, the intellectuals of the community and the artists, right, Because um, not to make it so highbrow, really, like, you have to understand that, like, there's intellectual and there's artistry in the hood. Yeah. Regardless of your level of education. Yes. And, and that's what I first saw in Dominican Republic. And I was like, damn, you know, this is beautiful because they're having these conversations that are so sincere and unique to the experience. Mm -hmm. I would have loved that. My experience was different because I'm a rebel, man. Yeah. And I've always been a rebel. Yeah. And I fed off of the fact that most of the, most of the not only the staff, like, Forget about it. I never, I, I was never taught by a black or brown artist. Okay, granted, I had one in high school. There was one in high school, um, but at the university level, like all my painting professors, draw, drawing, you know, illustration, whatever, like it was all white. And, and to your point, the student body was all white, with the exception of like this one Mexican cat, the Salvadorian um, um, woman, 
And we, we, like, we looked at each other like, like you just found like a nugget of gold because you would see, you would see the struggle. Mm-hmm. And it was about embracing our struggle. Yeah. And also like the beauty of it was that like we kind of fed off of like the simple, you know, Lily bullshit that like all the other students were doing. Mm-hmm. Like Gornia, they have it so easy, bro. Like, yeah. When you see someone fuck up, it's like, how did you bless all that whiteness and fucked it up, man? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I've been struggling like 10 times hard to like try and do something. Yeah. Right? At a level, at a high level of mm-hmm. pushing myself. And then you see it come real easy to a lot of people. But then when you look at the substance, for example, like... There should don't be having any it substance. Doesn't mean, no, no substance. No. no substance. No substance. Yeah. Because and then like, we get yeah. criticized for like... Exactly. Having, you know, having culture and like... And, and, and trying to express that and, and actually make sense of it. Exactly. Right? When you exactly. look deep inside... You know, if you're a person of color and they ask you to look deep, look deep inside, like mm-hmm. you, you go and you research and mm-hmm. you start finding out things that you didn't know that... Mm-hmm. That, that make you proud of where you're from and most you want to showcase that. Look, I mean, I feel like I'll be a hito most of the time for all of my experience and everything that I do, right? But, like, the reality is is that I've learned to have a lot of faith in the newer generation. Mm. The millennials, the Gen Zs, I feel like they're kind of doing it their way, man. They totally they're are. They're doing it their way and they're also establishing, like, a beautiful set of rules, you know? The first time that you heard... Um, the first time that we've been referred to as a people through a non-gender way, using the colonizer's language, mm-hmm. which is very gender-specific. Gender Spanish yeah. is very gender-specific, right? Latinx. Yeah. Like, that's kind of a beautiful thing. You've eliminated the gender. Yeah. Um, and that was born of, like, newer generations. The idea that, like, for, first, for the first time, there's a culture that refers to itself in a non-gender-specific way. That's revolutionary. And that's born of these modern generations, and they need credit for that because, again, to your point, like, it's those different, those different, those wild child, those different kind of, like, you know, kids coming up their own way and sort of, like, you know, being, finding inspiration and all those strange things that they find inspiration. Like, that's what we have to, like, support and, like, you know, give, give like, blessings to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I just think thing. there's a something missing when it comes to this gen, that these younger generations as far as like I mean beautiful art and stuff it's, to me it's almost like they're trying to eliminate struggle and not for anything but yeah. a lot of beautiful work masterpieces have come from struggle and it's just like who wants to live a perfect non-confrontational problem kind of life like that's the that's the kind of shit that helps you figure things out that that, that and, gets boring and, real fast it gets boring you know it's like it's survival it's you yeah. know it, it's yeah. you know yeah. everything that i went through as 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 a young person is what you know for instance like my mom didn't give me my mom used to give me money to cut my hair every six months mm-hmm. so i always had a busted hair that's cut when i was young right that's what's up. so what happened i learned how to give myself haircuts yeah you know what I'm saying? Me too. <laughs> you know, or, or like my mom, you know, again, she didn't, you know, creía en marca, as uh-huh. she used to say. She didn't Same. believe in brands, Same. right? So my mom didn't buy me the fly shit. So, but she would go and she would go to this place that they would sell clothing by the pound uh-huh. to send to DR. Yep. And I would scour through 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 the, the garbage bags and pick out outfits, yep. right? And yep. And I learned how to like, work with what I have and be stylish and all this other stuff. And that one itself, that in itself is a beautiful creativity. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but all of that came from quote unquote struggle because not for anything, like my friends, 
that who that had a mom and dad, right? Because I grew up with a single mom. Mm. Le compraban los tenis, she was there by the sneak. Everything, they had all the new shit. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. right? So I had to work with what I had, right? You know, and and we shouldn't be afraid of, of struggle, you know, like that saying goes, you know, pressure bust pipes. I agree. Right? Or out of, you know, pressure also makes a diamond and stuff like that. That's right, yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah like there's certain things that we could get rid of, you know what I'm saying? Like the oppression of of, of trans folks and, and, and all of that, like, all the judging and shit that we that we got and 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 the the racism and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know we yeah we could get rid of all of that but as human beings we we still kind of have to struggle you know because you, you for instance like you were saying about yeah. about, about the music right and yeah. Amalgam music yeah. uh-huh. right like yeah like what even this weekend I was listening I listened to his podcast Joe Budden podcast and there were and there was a there was a, a singer that were playing. And it was and it was like, yo, why is heartbreak music so fire? <laughs> like, uh-huh. like why yeah. is sad music so yeah. great? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like this person is creating this art from this like from this hurt, right? When Tupac said this a while back, um, you know, rest in peace. He said this beautiful thing about like just the, the 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 black plight, right? Or the or the struggle, I should say, right? That for many years they were kind of knocking on the door. You know, and just quietly knocking on the door and being like, um, can you let us in, please? Yeah. Um, can you let... And then, like, throughout, you see it, like, through the 60s and the 70s yep. and whatnot. Like, that knock started to get louder. Yeah. Right? And, and we do exist in a sense of emergency, in the sense of, like, we're not quietly knocking at the door anymore. Nope. And also, like, mass media and corporate America, like, with, with the, you know, with the invention of, like, you know, what they call Hispanic Heritage Month or Latinx Heritage Month. And, like, all these other programs and, like, the high demand for, like, you know, brown and black people to be, you know, to speak up about these things. Like, they see the money in it. Yeah. Right? Let's, let us as a people not forget that that is part of the struggle, but also part of the blessing that we have when we prepare our young black and brown boys and girls with the knowledge itself and the ability to, 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 to be able to maintain through the struggle to keep focus. Yeah. Right? Because there's lots of obstacles that, 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 uh, that take us off course. You know, for example, earlier on, you and I, we were building about, like, really the, the legacy that's been left on the communities um, from crack, right? And, and that was, that's a legacy that we, we still haven't addressed in this day and age. It's a legacy that we haven't been able to shake. The fact that we lost our OGs. Mm-hmm. And I don't care where you're from, because I go to Cali, I hang out on the east side, you know, with all, my, with all my friends and family from Boyle Heights and, like, you know, East Los Angeles and everything. And I've been to Compton, and I know all those cats out there, and it's the same thing. We started supporting each other, and, and then we got off track with crack. Um, a lot of those gangs, and I won't mention any names, out west and even over here, they, be- they began, they started as neighborhood associations to protect the men, women, and children of that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go too far, 111th Street, the Young Lords Party. I mean, what they did was revolutionary and beautiful, and that was supporting the struggle, right? Building and feeding into our young boys and girls so that they could maintain through that struggle mm-hmm. and shine at the end of it. Yeah. That's a complicated thing to do, man. And, and it's real tricky because in the meantime, it's like you're home and you got a lot of love when you're home. But then when you go outside, because I can relate to you 100%, like not even like El Estranjero, but like everyone else is knocking you for not having the right kind of kicks you know, 
how come you don't got the permanent crease on your leads? You know, everybody's <laughs> got the permanent crease now. Yeah. Oh, you don't got the pinstripe joints. You're, you're like, you know, you're old, like whatever. Like, I didn't even have pro keds until like I was older. Like, I had skips. I had every like bullshit sneaker that like existed. Like, I remember the first day I went to school with a pair of ponies because you could get ponies at a discount spot. And my mom got me a pair of ponies that were white leather with the gray pony joint. Um, and of course, they like because it was an all leather toe box, they got creased real fast. Yeah, they, yeah. Like, whack real fast. But I remember I walked into school the first day with a pair of ponies on. Everybody was like, oh, shit, look at Tito. And I was like, I felt embarrassed about that, actually. Because mm. I was like, I'm not going to be able to keep this up. In fact, like, yeah. I'm not getting another pair of ponies yeah, after yeah. this. You yep. bugging? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I got the, this is like, this is like, you know, this is a dark horse. Like, this is the random one-off. Like, you know, I'm going to have jocks next week. You know, so how how does um inspiration show up for you, right? And obviously, for you, it's, it go it goes both ways, right? You you're you're a visual artist, right? You're a graphic designer, but also you're a musician. So I, I I'm curious to how how that shows up for you. I think what happened to me kind of early on, thank God, that, that, that has also saved me is the fact that I realized that, like, the most important person to please was myself. Okay. But not only that, I couldn't please myself out of trickery. I couldn't please myself by lying to myself. I had to be really, really honest. Because God forbid, you know, let's say if you're performing or, if, you know, if I'm playing music, whatever, if I go up on stage and I'm singing something that didn't happen to me or that I can't relate to or that's a lie, I'm not going to be able to convince myself because what saved me in life was the ability to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely not going to be able to convince the audience. So then you're just, your background music. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So really what it is, like my angle to creativity is to stay true to myself and be able to like honor that part in me that I think is also like, an ancestral lineage mm -hmm. that still exists within me. Like, um, I'm going to take it back to hip-hop. And again, Tupac, rest in peace. But, like, when you hear Tretch talk about, like, Tupac after he passed away and how, like, Tretch is doing his shows and whatever, and he's like, you know, he talks about how he got a Tupac tattoo and whatever. He's like, yeah, you know, when I rock, Tupac's rocking with me. Yeah. He's like, every time I get drunk, Tupac's drunk with me. When I'm laughing, you know, when I make love, like, everything, like, that's my man. Like, he's rocking with me to this day. That's the way I feel about, like, my lineage, my heritage, you know, the roots that we have in common. Like, there's a, there's a, greater, there's a greater responsibility that we have as, you know, as our people. You know, indigenous to this land. We can say that. Yeah. We're like indigenous Americans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can say that. There's, an, there's, there's, a, there's a degree of responsibility. But then once you hone that craft and you realize that, like, I'm truthful to myself. I'm going to get up on a stage because what I like, you know, when I was still touring and traveling before COVID, I would go down to Mississippi and like, you know, play in Louisiana and whatnot or like Tokyo or like L.A. And like the expectation sometimes was like for you to go up there and like do something real rocking for people to dance to. Yeah. But in the meantime, what I had in my heart and what I wanted to express was a sorrow or let's say like a struggle or even a story, you know, to, to, to share a story about 
you know, my best friend that I drove cross country with and we got into fights with some cowboys in Amarillo, Texas, and he pulled out a Glock and whatever, like, and he saved my life in Texas. And like, like, that's true. Yeah. And I'm going to share that. And if it's slow and if it's easy and it's mellow, like you really can't knock it because like people that know, they'll see the beauty in what you do. And really like for the artists, it's, it's, it's not our task to please everybody. Facts. The problem is that we've got to, economics, we've got to find a way to make money. Yes. But it's not our job to please everybody. It is our job, however, because if you take any creative and you put them in a silo, literally, like think about a grain silo, and it got no windows in it and it's covered, and they have no, no like outside world, no nothing. There's two things that could happen. That artist will create the most beautiful things inside of that silo. But then after a while, that artist will die. Because mm. we need to share that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I believe, I, I think it was Maya Angelou that wrote that poem, um, um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And this woman, Abby Lincoln, uh, my favorite version of it, I don't know who else has sung it, but she sang it. And she does uh, this incredible song. Um, playing with like these beautiful jazz musicians. I believe Max Roach was playing the drums and she's singing and she's singing about like, why, you know, why the cage bird sings, man. When you talk about struggle, you know, why does the cage bird sing? And then she goes into this thing like, her voice wasn't the most like traditionally, you know, beautiful in the sense of like, you know, me, me, like beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. She was, had a very authentic and very much like Billie Holiday a very true sense and a beautiful voice because it was authentic and it was her experience. Yeah. But then she goes into this thing where she starts like, she starts cackling like different kinds of birds. And you're like, yo, this lady's bugging. Mm -hmm. But she's, she's, she's singing like a, like a hawk. Then she's singing like an eagle, like a pigeon, like, like all these different birds. And it's like, that's, just, that's not even music anymore. But then like, if you know, you know that what she's doing is she's expressing something that like, the Mayans knew, the Aztec knew, the Tainos knew, the connection between man and, um, and pardon me for, for my jaded sense of, uh, you know, words, but like humankind, the earth, and our connection to the yeah. animals. Yeah. You dig? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, man. Like, if, if like a hit jazz cat can go up there and sing like a hawk, like that's some beautiful shit, man. Yeah. How was Harlem Slim born? Like, how... How did this come to you? Because yeah. um, obviously you have have a career doing something else, right? So it's just like, how did this come about, you know? And ha and have you always sang? Like, because you said you went to music and art. I, I, I didn't sing outside of the shower probably until I first started playing the blues. I would sing if I was home. And there was, I mean, you know, there was always a guitar in my house. There was always, um, we grew up, there was a church around the way that threw away a an upright piano. And my father, because he was super, he asked a couple of the other dudes to help him bring the piano up to the house. So we had a piano in our house. Yeah. We had a guitar in the house. And as part of all those parties that I told you about, because my father was super the building, we'd have parties from like Thursday night to like Sunday night. Like all those parties, people would be singing along with listening to music and dancing. Um, obviously, that's where we all learned how to dance. Yeah. You know? Um, the blues, like... It got to a point in my career in art where I was doing, where I was painting. 
And granted, at the same time, I was making a living through graphic design, let's say, right? Um, so it was like this kind of like this, this, this yin and yang, yeah. right? Something I'm doing to earn a living that I can still think visually mm-hmm. versus something I'm doing to feed my soul. Now, I remember going to a gallery and looking at some beautiful artwork and a woman walked in with a baby. This is just my perspective. And I've really never shared this with anyone that's been like, I feel you on that. But I, I, she, this woman walks in with a baby and everybody turns away from the art and looks at the beauty of a child. And that's, that's understandable because children are beautiful and it's a blessing, Yeah. right? But I thought, damn, it felt like the, like, it, you know, if, if, you, if you read the Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes, they talk about the philosopher and he breaks everything down to like, it's like chasing the wind. You know, you're never going to catch it. Regardless of what you do and how to philosophize, like prepare yourself on a certain level to like understand the way the wind is turning, you're not going to know. So dig, it was like, that was just like a, 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 you know, like I fell off the horse on the way to Damascus. It was an enlightenment. And I said, regardless of whatever I do in art, I'll never be able to do anything more beautiful than a woman or a man carrying a child. Yeah. I said, I got to try a different angle. I want to try something that doesn't last as long. I'm not in your house when you listen to my records. I'm not in your house when you, you know, comb through YouTube or whatever. Like, so I thought music. It has a start, it has a climax, and it has a resolution. So I started playing the blues because, first of all, it reminded me of bachata. Yeah. It's a thing that I can relate to the most. It's a thing that was not born of a lot of, you know, high economic standing. It was musica de guardia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that was like, it was down dirty music that, like, folks listened to that weren't necessarily in the best position in life. My segue into the blues was because, like, it was a basic one, four, five chord structure. If you learn three notes and you can sing and write to it, you got a song right there. Mm. Okay, so let me try and build on this and I'll express myself in the most simplest way. I've never wanted to be the most complicated guitarist. I don't even want to be a good guitar player. I just want to be able to evoke an emotion, share an emotion and have that be fluid, yeah. right? And energy. And I got better at it. The name Harlem Slim came because I was just, I was singing under my name and, and, and I spent most of my time hanging out uptown. Yeah. Always. And I always rep- represented that neighborhood. You also got to remember that when I grew up in the Upper West Side, it was a different kind of a neighborhood than it is today, as most neighborhoods in Manhattan are. But my connection to Harlem and uptown was always tight, like in the old school sense of the word. I know kids say tight, like different. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were like, we were connected, like. I found out that there was a man called Harlem Slim that was from Long Island, you know, Blanquito, and he was singing the blues. And, I, and, and like, it just, it bothers me how our culture gets co-opted. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let someone put a black eye in the gang. Because if I come from a gig, for example, and I live on St. Nick and 130, I used to live on St. Nick and 135th, and, and I get off on the one line, and I'm going to cross St. Nicholas Park with my guitar and a suit and a tie. Like, I'm from Uptown. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm not taking no shit from nobody. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, you know, and like, for better or for worse, like, I represent that name. If a youth will come up right now and be like, well, you know, you don't live there no more, whatever. Like, you wasn't, you're not born there. I, and he could have that name. She could have that name. Like, it's all good. 
But I figured that I needed to represent for my community mm. and like and take that black eye out of the gang and make yeah. us look a little bit fly. Yeah. You know, because Harlem has a legacy, Harlem had a lineage, and we definitely had a, our place in, in making what the blues was during the migration north for the American Negro, right? And so I felt that like I needed to step up and do that for us, yeah. for our people, you know? And so I took it because, so like I said, I was a writer. Name. I was, I'm a writer, you know, I'm a writer, born and bred. You know, so like. Oh, you mean like graffiti yeah, writer? So like, yeah, yeah. So like, I took the name and like, you know, he's still alive and like, you know, I I, I approached him on that. Like, he he owns the domain thing, whatever, and like, that's money, and he's not gonna trip me up on some like, I'll buy it off you because I ain't doing that. The game is, you know, the game is is sold, not told. But like, I ain't buying it off of a chump like that. Yeah, yeah. And plus, the whole reason is that like, I think that if you go to the supermarket and you want apples and someone tries to sell you grapes and they're like, no, it's a manzana. You're like, you're not going to be a sucker. You should buy apples if that's what you want. Yeah. And I'm the apple. Okay. Just like New York, baby. You know, I'm the apple. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm the real deal. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to represent so that when I go down to Mississippi and it happened, I go down to Mississippi, they're like, you know, there's this guy who used to come down here many years ago who went by the name from, and I'd be like, yeah, he's from Long Island. Like, you know, he, he, he don't got, you know, you need a little bit more than to come up and get hooked on drugs to take the name of a neighborhood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You buying, I'm selling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a steward of the culture. So I just, I thought it was the right thing to do, man. Okay. And plus, like, I also like the beef and the static because yeah. like, we're from that era and I'm like, you know what? Like, the blues used to be like some hard rock shit and now it's like, it's like, it's butt is soft. It's like all marshmallow and like, you know, you know, the same kind of like, Everybody plugging into like 50 amplifiers and whatever. I go down in Mississippi and I got my dice on me, you know? And I have, and, I've, and I play at all the juke joints, most of the juke joints. And I try and get my dice game on with them. And not a lot of them want to shoot. Not a lot of them want to shoot because I come down there on some New York shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from New York, man. Yo. I got to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. I got to do it for the culture. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you write original songs? Yeah, I write original songs. So like the album that you have out right now, yeah. that's all original. That's all original songs with the exception of one that's a cover of a gospel tune um, from, from what is penned to be like the, the inventor of modern day gospel music. Georgia Tom Dorsey was his name. But uh, the rest of the music is all original. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I titled the album, It's a Beautiful Thing. Um, yeah. And I even put a song on there called, Boy, They Got Blues. Yeah. About, like, going uptown and, like, you remember this. Because we went to the same clubs on, on Broadway, especially. You remember when you used to, before Barcelona had the distribution in, in, in Manhattan. And you used to be able to go to the Carniceria and get a little pitufo, a little bottle of Barcelona mm. on Broadway. They had no distribution. Wow. But if you went to the butcher and you would be like, oh, yeah, dame una de esa botella chiquita. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, he would hook you up. He would wrap it up in the brown paper and literally went to, we went to um, Studio 84, right up the block, I would get my little bottle of Barcelo, I would drink that outside, you know, I'm not cheap, I'm going to take out a table and buy the thing, whatever, especially if I'm with a girl, like, come on, man. But like, I would get my little bottle before I went in there, because I had to have some Barcelo to remind me of like, you know, my summers or whatever, my little vacations, my little travesuras in Dominican Republic, you know? Um, so I wrote that song about going uptown and getting a bottle, a bottle of uh, Barcelo from like you know the bodeguero. Yeah. So, when what what's your um, peak peak creative time like uh, in in the day? You know, like for me, I'm I'm a morning I'm a like ten to five guy, and after five o'clock, yo no silbo. 
I wish. Yeah? I'm a night owl. You're a night owl. And I have a two-year-old. Okay. I have a two-year-old, so that has changed drastically. That forces you to find and also fine-tune your niche. Like, you, you have to make a lot of adjustments when you're raising a kid. So, like, it forces me to find a different time of creativity. So I've been a lot more productive, to your point, in those early morning, you know, hours lately. But that's new to me. Um, I do have to say about, like, morning creatives like you, there's something very sincere about those morning hours. Mm -hmm. Like, that first thing you say when you wake up in the morning, that's probably the most sincere thing you're going to say all day. Mm. You've, been, you've been in your thoughts the whole night. You've been meditating on something. You've been, like, speaking to, like, the ancestors in the spirit world and God through, like, dreams and whatnot, and you come up with something in the morning, like, that's, that's, that's fluid time. So I'm definitely trying to tap into that more these days. Um, morning time and the month of April. Morning time in the month of April. And the month of April, but not, you know. Oh, morning like, times in the month. Yeah. So why the, the month of April is like, uh, when that month comes. The month of April somehow, is always like some crazy, like, it's cause like spiritual. Because I'm an Aries, man. Because it's like spring. Because I'm an Aries, man. Okay. And I love the springtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you get this surge of of uh, of creativity. By hug by crook comes April. Like I need to be able to clear my calendar and do a lot of things for myself to put things together. That's always been the case when I painted, when I wrote songs. Um, yeah. So what what of what do you do when? I mean, walk me through a, a day in April. Like yeah. what what does when you when you get that energy, right? That inspiration. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Like, what, what, are you, what are your next steps? April is very fluid. I think it's probably more important to walk you through, like, a day in January. Okay. Or, like... Because January the, is tough. At the dead of... Like, when it's, like, you're sick and tired of wearing that same sheepskin or whatever. Like, you just don't want to go outside anymore. Yep. Like, it's dark. The sun has a, a small lifespan in the sky. Um, uh, honestly... I like to write. Yeah. You know, journal. Okay. I like to think to myself. Um, I've been saving the morning times, like my first moments in the morning, uh, where I have periods of meditation, or I should say prayer, where I speak to my Lord, and I communicate, and I take stock of my life. After that morning meditation, lately, like I said, because raising a two-year-old, you have to adjust your schedule. I find that fluidity because you set goals for yourself. But now, you know, I also have to start, like, looking at the week in blocks of time and being able to block out those hours where I'm able to, like, do for me. Yeah. You know, put in time for Harlem Slim and, like, focus on, like, what, what that blues means. And also, like, really, honestly, like, as most creatives, I think we've all taken stock of things during this COVID and this shutdown, especially if you're, you're a performance artist where, like, you know, I wasn't performing. Yeah. And what I did during that time is all I was doing was playing bachata at home. Really? That's it. Nothing else. And I started asking myself, well, if all I'm doing is playing bachata, is that more sincere to myself? And then should I do this? And I did a record of like some like old baladas, right? Yeah. Just on my own. I put it on Bandcamp for like two weeks and I took, took it off. And yeah. that was it. I called it Calientito, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, Leo Dan, like, um, a lot of Luis Segura, some Rafael Encarnacion, like just old school. Yeah. And like, to me, that was, 
it's telling in a sense that like I needed to kind of be a little bit more home, what was close to me. I wasn't touring. I wasn't going to Mississippi. I wasn't seeing things that bother me that much. So I didn't really necessarily need to mess with the blues so much. Yeah. So it was more just like a period of like creation and like, and, 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 and re kind of like re-upping on my personal identity. Mm-hmm. Um, since I started playing the blues again, you know, um, I, I got approached um, by, by a good friend of mine that I used to work with back in the day. His family owned a Latin record company and they wanted to put the record out. Um, a big company. They wanted to put the record out and they were like, you know, but this, you know, Esocita, there's, there's a niche for that market. You know, hay mucha noche bohemia y cosas que tú puedes, you know, you know, bregar y hacer tu cosa. And I was like, you know, I thought about it. I also don't have the time to dedicate, or I should say, I don't want to make a living out of singing the blues. You don't? Or okay. bachata. No. Okay. It's just, it's just an, uh, an, a form of expression. There'll probably be it's, something else down the line that you're going to... Perhaps, Choose. like the reality is, is if I didn't have music as a form of expression for periods that I haven't been able to express myself or even during the, the lockdown where I wasn't sharing that with people, I go crazy. Like really bad, man. Like every, all my thoughts are coming out sideways. Okay. Destructive thoughts, self-doubt. Yeah. That's when like, you know, you question yourself, you, you know, you start thinking, damn, like, why am I, like, why didn't I just do this? Or like, you know, uh, you know, and all that self-doubt and you want to fall back to like a comfortable like little corner. Um, the problem is with music that I've seen is that the second you start making a living, you got someone in your pocket. Facts. And they want to make your project a little bit like this mm-hmm. or a little bit like that. Or let's do something like this. I play, I play an acoustic guitar. It's a metal body. It's a steel guitar, Right. I don't have an amplifier, I don't have a mic, and I learned how to play that without amplification. So when I go to a juke joint, I play it the way the OGs played it. I holler from a corner, and you could hear me at the other end when people are dancing, whatever. I scream, and I, and I play hard. You know, my fingers, they, you know, I got calluses, and if I don't have calluses, they bleed. That's the reality of it. But the, but, but the truth of the matter is, if, like, if a record company, you know, gets in touch with you, my experience, anybody that invests in your art, they're going to want to return, which is why, big up to a brother like you, you're doing it on your own terms, and you're doing it for yourself, and you do what you do, and that's what's up, and we need more of that in the community. To also, like, open up the passageway and break, break the ceiling, break that glass ceiling and the mold so that, like, all our young, you know, beautiful black and brown children and white children can see that, like, they could be different and do things differently and not, like, just go the same route. You know how many times someone's tried to put an electric guitar on my lap and be, oh, but do this. You know, oh, you should. I played in a church once and, you know, someone told me, you should sing more songs about voodoo. That's some crazy <laughs> shit. I'm like, first of all, don't talk to me about voodoo. Like, you don't know, like, uh, you know, especially like as a person of color, like everyone has an experience with that or, or what you call voodoo, right? Which we call spirituality, right? Everyone has an experience and don't co-opt my experience or don't try and, most importantly, tell me that this is the route that my craft has to take. I don't want anybody in my pocket, so therefore, the dollar that I make is an honest one and, and hopefully, God willing, not a thirsty one. Now, granted, if I had to go out there and make money to feed my daughter or my partner, you know, 
If, if I had to put, like, you know, through music, put money on the table so that my lady and my, and my baby can eat, like, that would be a different thing. And that's a different struggle. But I'm blessed right now that I got a gig, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I got a gig as a graphic designer. No, it doesn't feed my soul. But uh, I'm also not scared. Uh, so I can lead with, uh, without fear, which I think is something that's always lacking in leadership. Um, because I've also, like, coming from where we come from, like, we didn't have anything. I didn't have anything, bro. So, like, I'm kind of not afraid. I'm not afraid, and I'm not afraid. Like, the thing that I'm most scared of is, like, someone telling me what to do. Oh. Right? Yes. So, like, <laughs> yes. when I was on furlough, and, and, and this is how they, they, they changed, because furlough to me always meant um, when someone comes out of jail to, like, for a funeral or, like, to like a wedding or something, whatever, like, but now, you know, during the pandemic, when everybody got laid off from their jobs, it was called furlough. And I was like, oh, shit, that's funny. 1984, George Orwell, right? Newspeak. Um, I was like, I used to walk up and down 8th Avenue around 42nd Street, because you could still feel old New York around there. And then, I, and, and then I started walking around, like, you know, the East Harlem and whatnot, and like, you know, going around Marcus Garvey Park and just seeing, like, how, like, familiar all that shit is and how like I came from that you know I came up through through the cracks of the concrete um and did it so like um don't you want a leader that's not scared like like we're the biggest asset to corporate America bro we're like literally the American dream that's going to come up and change your corporations and and lead your corporations into the new millennium because we are we're, we're in a shift. We're in a shift in time. This isn't, this is, they, they sang about it in the 60s. This is, literally speaking, this is the new age of Aquarius, right? And in New York City, one of the central hubs of energy in the universe, okay, let's talk about the world, in the globe, one of the central hubs of energy, because we're built on a very special bedrock. I don't know if it's crystal or it's, Something. There's something in the bedrock in New York that makes mm, this the place yeah. that everybody wants to come to. Yep. We created all that music, mm -hmm. you know, like from Blanquitos to like Morenos, like yep. all of us. We salsa. created that salsa. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like it's no, it's no miracle that 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 um that my man came from from DR that. My man came John, from John Rico. Rodriguez. Yeah, every, the, like, the, the first guy. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're talking about salsa. salsa. Yeah, salsa. I thought you were talking about. Uh, because they say the first... Uh, oh, yeah, they came to... Yeah, right. to, to yeah from yep. the New World yep. and stuff. Yep. To come to New York. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's, that's deep, too. Yeah, yeah. That's very deep. No, when I, when, when I heard, when, when I learned of that story, I was like, oh, we've, we were destined to always be here. 100%. Like, we, we could question as many times, why did our parents choose to come to New York City? 100%. Not Florida or yeah. any of those. No, it's right. because... We have our lineage. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it's like, it's a spiritual thing, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and when you think about, like, for example, so the blues, and I won't bore you with the story, but like, when the cotton, when the cotton economy started running down in the South after World War II during the, what, the industrial age, you know, all the big machineries, and there wasn't as many jobs sharecropping and whatnot. And uh, so a lot of the, 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 the field workers started coming north. Yeah. And that's the great migration north. A lot mm -hmm. of them came Chicago. into Memphis and Chicago. Yeah. Right? So the second that first blues man came to Chicago, 
Like that literally cut the path where like everybody, even if they landed in Memphis, and Memphis was the shit back in the day, Beale Street was like, you know, chocolate city. Beale Street was like, everything was there. It was a sustainable economy by hook or by crook. If you had any inch of talent, regardless of what, you were gonna make your living on Beale Street. Still, that line had been cut and eventually, you know, Howlin' Wolf didn't stop in, 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 in Memphis. When he got that record contract, he went up to Chicago. And then everybody went up to Chicago, for the most part. But yeah, that's the lineage. And we see that lineage not only, you know, even going further back, just the way like, you know, from Senegal into, the, into Quisqueya, right? Um, and in through Louisiana. And that was it. That's, that's like, that's our route. That's our route into Louisiana and then into the, the North, North America. Uh, and we were a part of that from the beginning, 1492. Like literally the door, right? So basically, if somebody asks you, why is Dominican guy uh, playing the blues? He was like... I made it. Exactly, <laughs> I right? made it. Yeah. And also like, let's acknowledge the fact that like in the Dominican Republic, like between the poets and, and, and the painters and the musicians... And, you know, any artist that manages to have a form of self-expression and especially to deviate from what society, like, sets out for you to do, like, that's, that's, that's like, that's a tremendous lineage, man. And, like, something that I have to honor because, like, you know, yeah. So, so do you record everything, like, on your own at, at a studio and stuff like that? Like, I mean, because so, you don't work, do you ever, have you ever worked with a band? I, I worked with a harmonica player before. Okay. And I had um, a drummer and, a, and another harmonica player sit in with me. What I did recently, because um, I recorded in the studio, I, I recorded the record first in the studio, direct to, um, to tape. Okay. So like very old fashioned, yeah. right? Um, I didn't like the way it came out. So I re-recorded it in my man's crib in Brooklyn. Um, and then I salvaged a couple of the songs from the studio that I collaborated with some other people. So I had my man Sunday play um, maracas on some of it. I had my man Cesar come and play bongos for me because um, that's the sound that I want to evoke. Like for me, like the blues with maracas, conga, bongo, like that's the future of the blues for me. I like that because you're like combining. It's, 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 the, it's the, the, the... You're the taking part. the gumbo and making it into a sancocho. Coño, eso me. That's it. You said it. You said it. I'm going to borrow that if that's okay. Go ahead. I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. And, I, and, I'll get, and I'll give you the credit on the, on the TM on the end of that. Yeah. So that's something new that you're working on? That's something new that I'm working on. So, oh my God. So it's going to be this hybrid blues. That's, yeah. And right now, like, currently, like, because the way I put it together, like, I don't have the plug on the musicians, right? Because you really have to be in that. And I used to go to those, those, um, those, Cuban, those Cuban sessions that they had in, um, in Central Park on the Sundays, right? Where the Santeros would get together and, 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 and play the drums Like a and drum sing, circle right? or something that they had? Yeah. Oh. Um, and I met a couple of the cats there, but I haven't really, you know, my next step is just to find the right players. Damn, that's really I cool. I want to find someone that's, you know, that, that's down to get, you know, to get into it in a different way. Yeah. Um, like non-traditional, but very traditional. Yeah. Because in a sense, like, this would take it back to the root. Yeah. This is me, like, like taking it back to, like, but wait a minute, let's not forget this sound that was here mm -hmm. on our journey, right? 
So what was your first gig? Like how how does how, one how do you how does a blues singer get gigs and you tell, talking about going to Mississippi and places like that like yeah. how, how does all that happen? Like my first gig was in Brooklyn at at uh, at this at this like folk club joint that they have in Brooklyn um and I had about four original songs not enough to fill the time slot that they gave me. Um I had just been listening like hardcore to um um Pedro Pietri. Okay. Who's that? Re- Re- um, one of the New York Pocono is Pedro. Uh, oh, and, um, uh, I know he t- uh, no, the New York Pocono that they made a movie about yeah, him. No, no, that's uh, Manuel Pinero. Okay. This is another one. He, this guy became a Rev- Reverend Pietri, whatever, but um, I think it's Pedro Pablo Pocono, no sé, pero I was listening to this record on Folksway, Folkways. Um, Smithsonian put it out. And it was like cuts of his New York poetry, right? Um, and it was moving me so much that I memorized a bunch of them. And I just, I said his poetry in between the blues song that I was singing. I don't think anyone picked up what the mashup was that I was representing New York. Because also I got to mention that the biggest misconception, and I say this shit loud because like the biggest misconception that is Dominicans against Puerto Ricans, Cubans against yeah, Dominicans, Ecuadorians against Salvadorians, and that is some big bullshit. Yeah. That's something that like, the other man took and ran with and made a big letrero with it. Mm. Like, my experience, bro, growing up, you know, and hanging out in El Barrio, wherever, like, that shit was unity. You know what I'm saying? Not only unity, but it was also, like, understanding of the similarities. And, 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 and that's the shit that will also save us in the long run. So we have to dispel that from, like, if I'm talking about, if I'm talking about, like, salsa in the 80s, like, I'm going to hard body give credit to all those boricuas, you know? Um, if we're talking about anything that, like, Boricos had, you know, that's, like, it takes nothing away from me. I mean... Like, on you, the contrary, that shit, like, bigs the, me up because that's my people. No, of course, you know? and not only that, but, uh, you know, Dominicans followed where Puerto Ricans were because it, ha- it, it helped them out, right? 100%. The, the Puerto Ricans spoke English and Spanish. The big joke in white America is how the, how the English treated the Irish. And I'm not saying joke to belittle the fact that there was a lot of fucked up shit, pardon me. I'm saying it's ironic that we weren't the we weren't the first, you know, that were like spoken down to. Yeah, yeah. That's that you know, when the Irish came here. Yeah. And then when the Italians came here, forget about it. They were treated, you know. So like That's almost course, like a right of right passage. Right of passage. Abriendo paso. See. Right? And um and when my parents came here in 63, 63, 64. Like, there was a lot. We got, like, you know, you have to credit those those. There was Puerto Ricans and Cubans. Came here. We learned how exactly. about the lottery, exactly. playing exactly. Lo Numero and the Bodegas by, by the, from, from the Cubans 100%. when we came here to the, the Heights. So, like, never, ever, you know, and, and, and it's my duty to, to like, like to, to undo that and to, and to stop, you know, because that is not good for us as a people. Yeah. No, this, not at all. We have a combined struggle. So, like... Um, also, mind you, when you study about, like, the, the Tainos and the Caribe, like, they were expert navigators. Mm. Um, El Cacique Atuey went, during the time that his people was being killed, he got on a yola, call it whatever you want to call it, and went to Cuba to give him the heads up that, yo, these Spanish people that are coming, yeah. heads up, it's not what they, it's yeah, not what they yeah. say they are. Yeah, yeah. They come with this, you know, thing and all this love and peace, pero cuidado. And he went back to Dominican. 
Um, you hear the stories about um, Bartolome de las Casas wrote about this, right? Where there was like, there were ships that would take like, um, that would take Taino's slave to other countries in Central and South America to work, right? Um, and for days, they would see other indigenous people swimming alongside the boat. Mm, wow. Until that one particular person, sea enamorado or cuñado, primo, tío, lo que sea, would jump off the boat and they would all turn around and go back. Mm. There was unity. And it wasn't, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't just kept between like this island or this country or this republic. You know, that was man that created all that bullshit. There was unity in us as a culture. I don't want to digress from the point the topic over here where we're talking about creativity. But. No, it's all good. No, it's fascinating. I, I love it. So, um, this is definitely a, a different uh, interview than I've done before just because, again, it's just like, I was just very fascinated by the fact that you're a blues singer, right? I don't. I don't. Um, no, but going back, one of the questions that I have is, have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome, which you kind of touched on that a little bit uh, earlier? Perfect and beautiful. Yeah, topic. and and how do you deal with that, right? So you mentioned that um, you mentioned that documentary. What is it called? Santo Domingo Blues or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you hear Luis Vargas, who's an OG. He's mm-hmm. an OG. You hear him talk about like his his beginning in the career. And if you're lucky enough, like I think you might be able to get access to like some of his early records through the internet or whatever. They're mostly out of print because of politics and like record company. But like in the early days, he sounded a lot like. Calderon, or like all the other bachateros that came before him, because it was all about copiando. And that was the path that was cussed. So you were going to sing like this, like this, like this. Um, but in that documentary, he talks about, you know, really it was only until I decided that like, oh, no, 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 someone came up to him. Who was it? Paniagua. One of those guys came up to him and was like, um, you're doing a beautiful job. You're very talented but you're making me a lot of money. If you sang your own songs, you could start to make yourself some money. He was like, oh. So he found the swing to doing it your own way. Sincerity. And I'm not sure if that's what you referred to as imposter syndrome. No, imposter, well, imposter syndrome meaning, I mean, actually I'll, I'll read the, uh, what, what it means. So imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. Now what I thought, thank you for pulling my coat. 100%. Always, man. Like, I, like, I think I'm, a, I'm an introverted person with really good social skills. Okay. That's it. I'm shy. Yeah. Um, um, but, but it also, it serves me in knowing that, like, if I ever touch on that nerve where it's like, oh, I feel shy or embarrassed to sing this or do this, I know I'm on something good. You know what? That I'm on something good because okay. that's sincerity. Okay. I don't. So you lean into it. I, yeah, I do. I don't use that as just the mechanism. I've grown to trust that and learn that. But 100%, man. Like, yeah. So how? Like self, for, second guessing, mm-hmm. judging, like. No. So then, how can you explain how do you use that and lean into it? Because like a lot of times, you know, whenever if I second guess myself or whatever, then I'll kind of get discouraged and then probably stop doing something right so it's like how do you use that that fear and that insecurity in your favor we're all students of our craft whether you paint draw sing 
I think when you look at other artists, you also have like a good like litmus test of what's real and what's not. What's like, what's made up, what's co-opted. He don't really mean that, you know. She's not really about that, like, and I mean that in the most sincere way, not in a judging way. So I've seen fault first and foremost in myself. I've seen fault in other people where it's like, this is kind of boring, B. Like, I'm going to go get a beer while this guy finishes playing and then, like, let me know when it's my turn to rock kind of thing. I always feel that those artists don't necessarily tap into that nerve. I lean into it. I lean into it knowing that, like, you can tell when it's not sincere and when it doesn't come from a struggle place. Yeah. Even painters, man, like, you know, I'm not speaking necessarily about, like, the Dutch masters who were very methodical with the way they painted, but, like, in modern art, painters fought with the canvases and would throw them out into the street, let it get rained on for a couple days, then pick it up again and look at it, right? Picasso did it in a very exploitative way. I'm not a fan of his, personally. He did it in an exploitative way, whereas he had his wife, you know, he, he would get to a point with a painting, and he had his wife, he said, he'd wake her up, and be, you know, look, I did this painting. I know now, because I'm an artist, that it can go in two directions. I'm going to go to sleep and take a nap. When I wake up, I want to see two identical paintings where I won't be able to tell mine from yours. That's wild. And he would take them both in those opposite directions. Uh-huh. Chappelle. And then he would destroy the other one that he didn't but like. Who would, but he would make his wife paint. Exactly. Them. That's wild. So the truth of the matter is, is that whether you do it as a colonialist, colonialist exploitive, you know, you know, man like Picasso, or you do it like, I'm not going to big myself up. I'm going to say like someone that's humble, fruit of the earth, you know, that's your choice. But you understand that there's a clear path to sincerity. And, uh, and sincerity is what will save us as artists, period. Don't expect to get the reward of your effort or to reap, you know, la cosecha while you're alive even. You know, it's yours to create, not for yours to reap. You know, one thing that, I, that I'm like learning about you right now is just like, you really, you really do this really just for the love of it like you just said like earlier you said oh like i'm not really that good at promoting uh, instagram or whatever and stuff like that so like to you it's just like you don't really care like yo the art is there if you if you like it, if you want to if you want to engage with it it's there look and don't get me wrong i felt like a king when i walked into that school with a pair of ponies on so like if if you know if i post on instagram and it gets like some nice whatever like um what is it called likes or whatever like Um, that makes me feel good because I'm also human. And I also, like, I do need someone to be like, I love what you're doing. To be honest with you, that's like, the fuel. I, feel like, I feel like a king that you asked me for this interview, period. Yeah. Because it's one of my own, someone from my community that acknowledges that I'm doing something in my lane and is like, yo, I want to talk to you. Let's chop it up. I'm like, whoa. To me, this was the biggest thing. Right? So I need that. Um, I don't exist without it. But what I try and do is put the importance where I think it belongs. Um, uh, I don't know how many people just do it for that. You know, you hear about couples taking trips 
across the U.S. to to, to become Instagram influencers and shit. Yeah, yeah. And we all know what happened with that. But, uh, you know, there has to be, a, like, a sincere reason why you do anything. Like, and it can't just be for a pat in the back. It can't. You know, Instagram is a beautiful platform. People make money off of Instagram as well. They should. Um, but it also exists because corporations don't, Pay, pay, you know, they don't pay the, the dues to the fact that the reasons why they exist as corporations. Um, uh, Prokez, you know, was played out in the 90s until Bobito came out with the Prokez, you know? Um, I would even go as far as to say that, like, you know, until I saw KRS-One and, and, and BDP rocking um, Nikes, like, to me, that was the hardest. Like watching them at the end of that, I think it was the My Philosophy my video. My Philosophy like, video. Like, he got the number. Those, those, those are my Jordan favorite. Threes, those like, are my favorite. Oh, I yo so iconic. Could not afford a pair of Jordan threes. I got a pair of hand-me-down Jordan threes mm. in that era. Yeah, bro. that was that because that, I was still poor. But uh, like <laughs> to me, like and then like you see people with knowledge yourself, you know, and big up KRS and and Chuck D. Like Chuck D. pulled everybody's coat. He was like. You know, the neighborhood support, so put some money in it. Exactly. You know, cut to chase. I'm working with Spike Lee, my first gig, my first real gig out of college for the movie Clockers, right? Uh-huh. And in the art department. And uh, one week I see, like, boxes of Nikes come in. Boxes and boxes. Because Spike knows the deal. He runs, you know, he runs a tight ship and he makes money. Speaking of that, uh, the black experience, our experience, right? And... Okay, you want Nikes in my movie? Hook it up. You know, this ain't free. This ain't free. Every corporation needs to be held accountable. Yeah, one way or the other. For sure. Because Lee didn't invent the permanent crease. Yeah. You know, fat laces weren't invented by a sneaker company. Nope. Nobody told, you know, Fulano de Tal to, like, iron his laces, to chop them in half. And, yep. like and put to the, even lace them up that way. Or put the, or put, um, put the sock. My man. All of that, like yeah, that, yeah. that is all street knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So, it wasn't yeah, like it's in interesting. Like, where the hell did that come from? It's that. That's the fascinating part. Style, style, style. It's style with and, and, and yeah, with, style, with, style with what? No, with what you got. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it's also like the beauty of it is style as resistance. And that's when you think about like fashion through the decades of the you know whatnot, and you look at like the zoot suiters. From, from Los Angeles, like all those Chicanos like rocking their zoo suits, like, you know, even like the African-Americans, Cab Calloway rocking the zoo yeah, suits, yeah. like that was style as resistance. Yep. If you wore Zoot a zoo suit, you were literally asking to get into a fight. Yeah. Especially in that time when like all the sailors were trying yep. to like, you know, yeah, yeah. like that was like, you, you were asking for it, but still like you, you, you dress, you know, you dress beautifully. And I, and I know you remember all those men growing up in a time before crack, like where like, from Monday to Friday, they were day laborers, working hard. Or those women that were working piecework in the freaking garment district like my mother was, you know? Sewing up, like, little bullshit, like, doilies, whatever, like, whatever kind of work they could get. But then come, like, you know, Saturday morning, Sunday, everybody was dressed beautifully. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and even when I, when, one thing that I noticed when I was a kid, like, around 9 or 10 o'clock, going to the Maker Public, is, like, yeah, the kids, they, they're, they, it's almost like you wear the same thing every day from... From like the from morning to like three o'clock, right? Yeah. And then you get home, eat the banya, and like you're clean and you look nice, and you go yeah. out, or you know, go out for a walk or whatever, and all that shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's 
I guess two more things that I want to ask you. Um, this just came to mind. It's fashion and it's your style, and it's almost like I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I don't hope. I hope this is not insulting or. But it's almost like what you're doing with Harlem Slim is like it's it's um it's performance art. Most definitely. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Because you like you dress the part. Always. Yeah. And this is every day. Every day. Like I was <laughs> again. Because this is the second time that I see you in yeah, person, right? Yeah. But there was one time that you tagged me because you had the one of the merengue rock yeah. t-shirts and like you had like gym clothes. And I I'm like, gym oh, this thing when I boxed. Yeah, no, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you were dressing regular clothing all the time? Like sometimes? Okay, cool. Yo, no, I, so it's like, yeah, like the whole, this thing is like performance art too, which I fucking love. And that's love. my thing too. When I like, I, I used to box and when I go to the gym, like I especially love rocking your shit. Okay. In Thank the gym, you. Thank especially you. when I'm boxing, because yeah. like, a, I'm putting money back into the community. Appreciate it. I'm putting money into my brother's pocket, like literally, like it is as like the circle doesn't even like arc, like it's literally like, boom right into my brother's pocket. And I love going to the gym and rocking something that like, cause I'm also like it was a period where I, like I was I was listening to a lot of Safido and like <laughs> okay, like I love all that. There's that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, like when I'm in the gym, like you know, I'm I'm. I don't look like, you know. You're yeah. not going there with fucking Converse and nah, short shorts. Nah, and nah, nah. And yeah. I, I, like the, I like the performance where I like the Jordans. And I, yeah, I still, yeah, still, I mean, that BDP video was still very influential. Oh, for like, sure. I the, and, you know, and I, and I got, I have sneakers in the crib because, like, I can afford them now. But, like, and it's weird because my lady, she's like, yo, why do you buy these? And it's not like I have a lot. But I'm like, yo, because I couldn't get them back then and I, I need them exactly. now. Exactly. Like, yeah, no. It's 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 funny how like they're clean and fresh now. That that young that kid part, like I'm Still. the I'm, I'm the same way, man. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, no, I, I couldn't my mother didn't buy me anything. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm gonna buy yeah. these because and I'm a rocket exactly. at this age because exactly. whatever. Cause I'm like, yo, is we're fly, so it doesn't exactly. matter, right? hundred percent. Um yeah. no and just my last question to wrap everything up is like you know, with your experience, it's like, what what kind of uh, advice would you give a young creative who's uh, trying to put their stuff out there, you know? Um, First and foremost, love yourself and be kind to yourself. That like, you know, especially when you're in a young age, you're thinking very delicate and beautiful thoughts. Like, my daughter right now at the age of two, she's doing these, she just started doing these beautiful drawings. And like, the way I see it, it's like, we're born with this sense of, like, this powerful creativity. Yeah. Like, she sings, and she makes up these crazy songs about things, and I'm just like, that's bugged out. Like, she's singing, like, just a random song about superhero. And I'm like, you know, no superhero in particular, but, like, just random stuff. And, like, my advice to young creatives is, like, love yourself. Be kind to yourself. Don't judge yourself. Um... Don't hurt yourself. Like, literally, like, love the skin you're in, everything about it. You were talking about the one haircut every six months or whatever. Like, love what your hair does, regardless. I mean, it's, it's, that's one of the beautiful things about my Dominican people is that, like, you see, you see our culture in, in so many beautiful, powerful ways expressed through our hair, you know? You see the lineage come through and everything, like, it really would be as simple as that, man, to, like, love yourself yeah. and be kind to yourself. The be kind part is, is, is very important just because you're so hard on yourself as a creative, right? Especially when you're beginning, 
you know, you deal with imposter syndrome. You, you, you comparing yourself to others, you comparing, this is the, this, the reason, this part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I want folks to see that there is no proper way of doing things, right? You just figure out your own method of creating whatever that is, right? 100%. So you, yeah, you should be kind to yourself. And those are things that you, you know, once you start getting, you know, more comfortable and finding your voice and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could end that topic with this, with this one thing, or at least I, I, I maybe wrap up that question and touch back on something that we spoke about. When I first was drawing as a kid, you know what your drawings look like. And I was very self-conscious at one point when I was drawing people's faces. I felt like the faces, they looked ugly. And then I had the opportunity once to step back from a drawing, and this is like a young age, like 12, whatever. And then I was like, wait a minute. And someone told me, no, that's such and such, right? And I was like, yeah, how you know? They're like, yo, it looks exactly like him. Mm. I'm like, whoa. And I forgot this up, up until now, T. So bless up for, for reminding me this, that the day that I realized I could draw was when I stopped being afraid of drawing something ugly. Mm. Punto final. Y ya. Tito. We're going to end right there. That shit is perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate this conversation. And Anytime. All right. Peace. Yeah, peace.